You've tuned into the home of nostalgic pro wrestling podcasts as a part of the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. This is Kicking Out at Two. I'm your host, Dave Rosenbluth. Thank you all so very much for pressing play, hitting download, liking, rating, subscribing, doing all that stuff. Doing the thing, uh-huh. As Randy Savage would say, he'd say, I'm doing the thing. We're going to do the thing, and then maybe we're going to do the other thing, uh-huh. Didn't make much sense, but I think it sounds pretty cool 25 years later. And speaking of 25 years later, this week's show, we're going to be covering WCW Monday Nitro from April the 7th, 1997. We're going to be recapping it for you. I just watched it back recently, and it's it, this episode is centered around the turmoil of the New World Order. They're just coming off Spring Stampede, the main event with Diamond Dallas Page against the Macho Man Randy Savage. The NWO is in flux. There was involvement with, with Dennis Rodman's role in the NWO, Hogan not being there. There's all different kinds of stuff going on in this Nitro that, that is really centered around the NWO, and I wanted to cover it for all of you as we talk about Wrestling 25 years ago, WWF, WCW. Over on the sister show that we have on the network, Marking Out the Day's Extreme Watchalongs, we're covering ECW Hardcore TV with Kobe Nida. And so I thought we'd go on the other side of the aisle of the pro wrestling landscape and cover WWF Monday Night Raw or Raw's War and WCW Monday Nitro. So recapping this Nitro for you. There's some great action on the show that I'm going to recap for you. But before you do all of that, before you get into it with me, before we recap Monday Nitro, Please go like, rate, and subscribe to the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. Search Retromania on any, 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 any podcast platform available by searching Retromania with a W. And you can find this show, Marking Out the Day's Extreme Watch-Alongs. Cool Truth with AC is back in the saddle. Just saw that up there recently on the streams. Also, we got... um, What's the other shows? Hulkamania is Dead. We got Origins of Attitude. We got other great bonus content. Kicking out it to all kinds of great nostalgic wrestling content for all of you at the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network by searching Retromania with a W. Our home is on Podbean, but you can find us on Google Chrome, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, and any, any, any podcast platform available by searching Retromania with a W. And don't forget, like us. And follow us on Facebook. That's right, Kicking Out of Two is on both Facebook and Twitter. Facebook.com forward slash Kicking Out of Two. You can like us over there. And you can give us a follow on the Twitter. Facebook, or should I say, I'm sorry, at Kicking Out of Two. K-I-C-K-N-O-U-T and the number two. That's right. You can find us all over there. We got links to archive shows, pictures, videos, debates, discussions, all kinds of great nostalgic wrestling content, fun at your fingertips. Let's build the 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 gathering over on social media and talking about nostalgic pro wrestling at its finest with kicking out a two. So hit us up over there. <sighs> all right, cheap plugs out of the way. Let's do this thing. Let's do the thing. Uh-huh. WCW Monday Nitro from April the 7th, 1997. Like I said, this was the night after Spring Stampede when Diamond Dallas Page defeated the Macho Man Randy Savage. Which, by the way, you can find that show in the archives over at the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. A couple years ago, Dennis and I did a watch-along of that show, which we had a lot of fun. So check it out if you're interested in watching Spring Stampede. Um, you could also find this episode of Nitro on the Cock, on the Peacock. This would be Season 3. You could find it April the 7th, 1997. Um, the, the show would open with highlights from the previous night's Spring Stampede and the imploding of the New World Order. Um, then we get some footage of Macho Man Randy Savage Post-match against Diamond Dallas Page, putting his hands on Kimberly. And then we see the NWO get involved. Then he has a scuffle with Bischoff. This was pretty controversial back then. A man putting his hands on a woman. So it's not something that you would 
you would see in 2021, maybe in some indie wrestling, but on a mainstream level, the guys and the girls don't mix it up. Um, but uh, yeah, I, th- I thought that was uh, rather interesting that they opened with that. I totally forgot about that. I remember watching this Nitro as a kid, uh, but I don't uh, I don't remember the severity of Savage putting his hands on Kimberly back then, as I do now. Uh, we see Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco at the announcer's desks. They are live from Huntsville, Alabama, and they discuss the state of the NWO. The, the ongoing thread of this particular episode seems to be the, the turmoil within the NWO. Hence, when you click on the play button, it says NWO turmoil. Um, we get some still photos of the main event from Diamond Dallas Page and the Macho Man Randy Savage as the commentary, once again, illustrates the power struggle within the NWO. So this seems to be a, a good jumping off point uh, to, to get things started on the show. You, you highlight some of the, the, the main points of contention from the previous night's uh, pay-per-view to get us ready for this evening's show. So I thought it was a good way to open up the show, get people interested. If you didn't buy the pay-per-view, maybe you have a reason to now. Um, first match, we got Conan and Hugh Morris representing the Dungeon of Doom taking on Alex Wright and Psychosis. Uh, I, I totally forgot that Conan was a part of the Dungeon of Doom. Uh, he just didn't seem to fit that mold. I mean, the Dungeon of Doom was like ghouls and goblins and big, fat, hairy, ugly guys, you know? And then you got Conan, this this street thug, if you will. Didn't really make much sense. Um, we get a split screenshot during the match that shows DDP entering the arena from earlier in the day. And then he dis- he declares that it's far from over with the Macho Man Randy Savage and the NWO. Um, I-, I do remember back 25 years ago... And I was reminded as I watched this show, just the intensity in the rivalry with DDP and Randy Savage as well as the NWO. It felt borderline real. It felt like Savage and Paige really hated each other. And they 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 kicked things off into high gear very quickly, made it personal, made it all about, you know, Savage kind of taunting Kimberly and and Paige, you know, being married to Kimberly at that time, uh, took it personal and things just really went into high gear there. So um, I remember how personal and how intense it was and it resonated through the screen, even with, you know, Paige entering the arena and, and telling the cameraman that it's far from over. It was one of those things where, I, I just remembered how intense it was, and, and I appreciated it then, and I certainly appreciate it now. Um, the crowd, this is a solid opener. They seem to be into the match, but there's no real issue between these two teams. Uh, it's just a match that was just kind of thrown together. A lot of Nitro matches were like that back in the day. Um, Alex Wright was probably the one that was getting the strongest reactions out of everyone in the match as he's delivering all of his signature stuff, the drop kicks. He does the, the little dick dance. People go... People go Nuts for that. The finish comes when Hugh Morris delivers the no laughing matter moonsault for the win. Um, like I said, it was, wasn't was a bad opener, but there was no reason for me to care about this match. Uh, we then get still photos of the WCW women's title match between Medusa and Akira Hokuto from Spring Stampede the previous night as we head into the commercial break. This is something you're going to see when you watch this Nitro episode throughout the entire episode. To the best of my recollection... This is the first time that they really did something like this where they really promoted the previous night's pay-per-view. Now, I'm not sure if this was the first time that they were the the cable companies aired the replays on Tuesday nights because if you remember, the pay-per-views used to be on Sundays, you had the next night's show and then they would and then you would get the the replay on Tuesday nights. They would advertise it. That was a big thing back then. Um, if you missed it on Sunday, you got you, you got to catch it on Tuesday. So, and this was pre-internet, of course. So, um, 
yeah, I don't know if this was a a, a, a new thing for them. It, I don't recall them doing this very often. I don't recall them, you know, after each commercial break or heading into commercial break, they would show still photos of, of the, the, the pay-per-view from the previous night. I don't know if the, the numbers were bad and they wanted to hype it up to get people to buy the Tuesday show or it was so successful that they wanted to 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 get to encourage people to order the replay. I'm not sure what their strategy was or if this was the first time that they were available to, to, to air the replay on a Tuesday night. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not 100% certain, but it was definitely a... a it was definitely a smart move on their part, um, doing that. So, nonetheless, you'll, you'll you'll be getting more of that throughout the course of this um, throughout the course of this recap here. And we come back from the break, and it's Rey Mysterio versus Lord Steven Regal. It's already in progress. Uh, Shivani then says that the cameras are being sent to the back as we see the NWO arriving to the building. Hogan, Bischoff, DiBiase, and Vincent. And Hogan says that they plan to k- take care of some family business as they enter the building. Uh, Bischoff responds by saying he hopes so as they continue to illustrate the the tension within the NWO. Even Zabisco on commentary says that normally they're they're happy and go, you know very cheerful as the NWO enters the arena. It's all business with them, so they're really building up this this tension between the NWO or within the NWO. Um, Hogan and Bischoff not very happy as they walk into the building. Um, as far as the match goes. Um, this is a good match between these two. Mysterio countering his high-flying style with Regal's with Regal's technical wrestling presentation. Um, Regal stretched to Ray as he's fighting to reach the bottom rope, which he does successfully. Then Regal won't break the hold, and the referee disqualified William Re- or Lord Stephen Regal, I should say. Uh, Prince Iakea would run down to make the save, but gets caught with a Regal stretch as well. Officials then would try to break it up, but Regal gets a few cheap shots in. This is a good match. I, I, I thought that, you know, the NWO segment, um, you know, even though it took front and center during this match, they seem to be continuing with the issues with Ray and Regal and Iakea. Um, there was some con- there was something for us to care about, even though the NWO storyline was a, kind of shoehorned into this into this match, into this segment here. Um, cameras cut back to the outside of the building where another limousine has arrived. This time, Macho Man at... Comes out on crutches with Miss Elizabeth, Buff Bagwell, Scott Norton, the fake sting, Michael Wall Street, Six, and Kevin Nash arrive into the building. And once again, a, a situation where they're not happy. They want some answers from the other NWO members. More building of the tension between the two sides. Seems like Hogan's kind of leading one side. Nash is kind of leading another side. So uh, we'll, we'll see what we'll see what happens. Um, more still shots from last night's Spring Stampede. Going into the commercial break of the the I call him William Regal, even though he's William Regal, he was Lord Stephen Regal back then in WCW, uh, and Prince Iaka as we head into the commercial break. And then we come back from the break, and they show still shots of last night's Spring Stampede, where Scott Steiner gets maced by the the cops backstage after an altercation with Kevin Nash and six of the NWO, which set up the singles match later on in the pay per view with Nash and Rick Steiner. DiBiase and Nash post-match would have words over Nash's actions in the match, furthering the issues within the NWO. So, if you don't remember, Kevin Nash wrestled Rick Steiner one-on-one, and it was for the WCW Tag Team titles in a singles match. Scott Hall wasn't there. He was advertised to be a part of the match. He hadn't been there. At that time, he was going through some personal issues. So, they ran this angle where Scott Steiner was trying to go after the NWO, and... um. He he was a, he you know the 
the police got involved. He was maced by the cops, taken out of the building, arrested, and then they set up a singles match. I mean, the, the, the singles match for the WCW tag team title, it's a little weird. I mean, six was available. Six could have been a stand-in for Hall. Nash and six against the Steiners for the tag team titles. That would have been a an interesting situation. Let's say the Steiners would have won the titles. Steiner pinning six. The NWO could come back and retort by saying, well, I was a substitution. Scott never got pinned. Technically, we didn't lose the titles. Then the NWO gets the belts back, further setting up more issues with the Steiners and the Outsiders to, to, to have a match later on down the line. Could have been something like that, but they went the singles route, and then, you know, like I said, Nash kind of had a... a uh, a meltdown post-match attack against Rick Steiner. DiBiase was showing some some sympathy, which was strange. Um, I don't know if this was setting up his exit from the group, and then he would eventually manage to Steiner's later on. I'm not sure, but uh, it was it was a little strange. But it was it was different because at that time the NWO was rock solid. They were the the dominant force on WCW programming, and to see a a, a kink in the armor, if you will, uh, that is the New World Order. It, it was it was different. It, it made you it, it made you pay attention. Um, we get more still. Or let me see what we got here. Um, oh, Ice Train with Teddy Long taking on Chris Benoit with Woman. This was a pretty physical match, I must say. Um, both guys hard hitting chops. The crowd was really into it. Um, then once again, like I said, this is the centerpiece of this of this episode of Nitro. The cameras cut back. With the NWO, as Hogan questions the loyalty of the guys that just arrived from the other limo. Hogan drops the bell on the ground and says, This doesn't mean anything unless you are involved, big man, pointing to Kevin Nash. Macho Man tries to play the peacemaker, but then directs his attention to Bischoff and claims he's gotten soft after last night. DiBiase and Hogan try to get everyone back on the same page as they cut back to the match. Okay, so let, 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 me, let me talk about that first before I then recap the, the, the remainder of the match. Um, I think in some ways it's good that they're keeping consistent with the focus on the NWO story. It's the centerpiece. It it showed great importance, but at the same time, you're taking away from some of the matches. Now, with that being said, um, you know, Savage, Bischoff, they got their issues with each other. Uh, Bischoff kind of getting involved when Savage put his hands on Kimberly last night, setting up the pull-apart between the two and the NWO as they closed out the pay-per-view. Nash and Hogan seem to be having their issues. From from what I gather, and if I, I could be mistaken, but I think this was right around the time when Hogan and Nash kind of had a little bit of a power struggle behind the scenes. I think there were some issues between the two of them um, regarding uh, camera time and other angles and things involving them. And they kind of let this bleed into the story. Now, I could be mistaken, but I do remember a period of time hearing about Hogan and Nash having some political issues behind the scenes with each other. So it's interesting how they let this play out on camera. Um, We get back to the match, and Benoit shoves Ice Train into Teddy Long in the apron. Then we get a front-face DDT by Benoit for the win. This was fun for what it was. If the NWO segment wasn't a part of this match, the when they cut back to the backstage area or did the split screen deal, I'd have appreciated this match more because we can make the argument, you know, after what Chris Benoit did, nobody should, you know, glorify his wrestling career and and, and make mention of it. A lot of podcasts they don't even 
really mention Benoit. Um, but I must say, when Benoit was in there with bigger guys, and he was he was just a very physical performer, and I appreciated that. And even to this day, it may be hard to watch some of Benoit's matches, but some of the more physical matches I can get into. Like I just watched a couple months ago. Um, it was like a a San Francisco death match at Super Brawl with him and Kevin Sullivan and woman and Nancy a woman and uh, Jackie were involved and it was it was a it was a war it was a lot of fun to watch I totally forgot about the match it was great um, and some of his stuff with Sullivan the very physical hard hitting matches but you know with a guy like Ice Train someone as big as Ice Train and Benoit I you know you don't really have any high expectations going into this match but I certainly did I thought this was I, I, I definitely thought this was a potential to be a, a really physical, great match. And for what it was, it, it was physical, but the NWO segment just kind of shoehorned itself in there. Um, you know, like I said, the, it, it could have been much better had the NWO th- you know storyline, the thread of the turmoil not taken over the match. Uh, we get more still shots from the previous night's Spring Stampede of Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko as we head into commercial. We see still shots of Arn Anderson and Eddie Guerrero getting involved along with Kevin Sullivan and Jimmy Hart. Um, yeah, the, the, the Arn Anderson situation, he was a member of the Horsemen. They kind of had a little bit of an allegiance to the Dungeon of Doom. Sullivan and Benoit had their issues. Eddie Guerrero had issues with Dean Malenko. They kind of intertwined everything for the match. Bing, bang, boom, and we got ourselves a little bit of a situation there at Spring Stampede. Um, what do we got coming up next here? Coming up next here. Um, we get back from commercial break. We see highlights of Dennis Rodman's new movie, Double Team, with Jean-Claude Vadam. And Hogan accompanied him to the premiere. And this was a part of the, the, the turmoil that was going on within the NWOs, that Hogan wasn't there every week, and that the NWO was kind of picking up the slack. The previous week's Nitro, Nash kind of cut a half-shoot promo uh, at the announcer's table with Six talking about the NWO not being on the same page and that he's kind of picking up the slack. And so this was directed at Hogan. So we, so now we have a reason, one of the reasons why the NWO's in turmoil is because Hogan's kind of focusing his attention to Dennis Rodman. Um, there's more speculation as to, as to why Rodman is a part of the NWO during this segment. Uh, the camera would then cut to Hogan and Robin, who explain why he's in the NWO. Money, fame, wants to have fun. And then he hypes up the July 13th Bash at the Beach pay-per-view, which, you know, internally on the dirt sheets, I remember that that was the tentative plan that Rodman was going to be a part of that show, but they never officially announced it till I'd probably say like a couple of months later. Um, but Dennis Rodman back then, 25 years ago, lightning rod of controversy. Chicago Bulls, uh, you know, we're in the NBA Finals that year, and so <laughs> Rodman. I mean, that was a that was the perfect coup for WCW was to get Rodman and have him part of the NWO, which was the biggest thing in wrestling at that time. It was a match made in heaven. It, it, I well done. I've heard stories. Uh, Bischoff on his podcast recently talked about how easy it was to set this deal up with Rodman. Rodman was going to go to the WWF and do something with Goldust for WrestleMania earlier that year. Hogan had found out. Hogan was kind of friends with Rodman. He put Bischoff and, and, and Rodman and linked them up together. They talked on the phone. Bischoff did the deal in 15 minutes, and Rodman was a part of WCW. So, um, yeah, it was it was uh, the segment. Like I said, it kind of set the scene for why the NWO had the issues that they have because Hogan's kind of focusing his attention on Rodman. Uh, next match is Hector Guerrero taking on Kevin Sullivan with Jimmy Hart and Jackie. 
for the most part, Sullivan, he owns Hector uh, throughout the, the course of this match. And, you know, he throws Hector to the outside. Jackie would suplex him. We got some chops, some stomps, some strikes onto Hector. Sullivan would toss him to the outside again. Jackie would go on to the attack. Forearms and a body slam out on the floor, which got a big pop. Sends him back into Sullivan. Ties him to the trio, baby. That's right, baby. He, Kevin Sullivan going to tie him to the trio. As American Dream, Dusty Rhodes would say. Then he goes for the double stomp to get the victory. Um, this was a means to an end. Really, you know, showing Sullivan's dominance in his rivalry um, with Chris Benoit. Sullivan then goes to the camera and says, it's not over yet. You know, directing that towards Benoit. So, uh, we would see some some more of this rivalry between the two sides. Then we get more still shots from the pay-per-view the following night as Jeff Jarrett and Mongo took on the public enemy going into the commercial break. Um, we come back from the break, and this is the big segment here. The NWO's music would hit, and the group comes out in two different groups. They're not all out together. Macho Man and Liz would then come out last. Um, more speculation on the tension within the NWO from the commentary. Is this the end? Are they going to split? Et cetera, et cetera. DiBiase talks first and addresses the turmoil within the family. He says it's one for all and all for one, and we either walk out together or we settle it. As he hands over the microphone to Hogan, who also addresses addresses excuse me the same issues within the NWO, mainly his issues with Nash as he drops the belt on the canvas. Hogan addresses Nash's issues with his absence from last week's Nitro, and he says if Nash has any issues, they need to air it out in public right now. Nash then says he has no issues with Robin's role in the NWO. Nash apologizes for being grouchy last week because he was in a hotel room on Easter with six. Hogan asks where Scott Hall has been. Is he still NWO for life? Nash assures Hogan that Hall is NWO for life. Then Hogan tries to make it clear if everyone is NWO for life or if he and Nash need to lock it up right now, which which the crowd popped pretty big for. Now let me stop right here for a moment. Um, I mentioned earlier Scott Hall had some personal issues that he needed to attend to at that time. And uh, that was the case. He was going through some personal stuff. I think this was one of the first times publicly, I believe, that they had sent him to rehab. So he was um, he was off TV for a little bit. And they kind of threw that into this story here that Scott's involvement and participation in the group was lacking because of his absence. And so Nash kind of stuck up for Scott Hall there. The, the crowd popping pretty big for Nash and Hogan and, and them possibly locking it up. That was telling because I'll go on record as saying a lot of people don't really think it was the smart move to split the NWO into two groups a year later in 98 with the Wolfpack and the Black and White. I didn't mind it. I thought it was interesting. I thought it made sense within the context of the story. The NWO had some turmoil and they had... You know, they, Hogan was dethroned by Sting, and some of the members in the NWO had some issues with Hogan's leadership. And, and you know, Savage and Nash eventually would f- split off and form the Wolf Pack. And I thought it made sense. Yes, it can be looked at as they watered down the concept. However, I thought that within the context of the story, it made sense that the Empire didn't necessarily fall, but it was split up. Now, would the eventual fall of the Empire take place? Yeah, but it didn't really have any kind of great ending to the story. Uh, That's one of the biggest gripes I have with the NWO storyline is that there wasn't any great ending to it. They had this great build-up, this great start, but the end, 
it was just kind of it was there. It didn't happen really, if you think about it. Um, they just all went their separate ways, so to speak. Um, let, let's continue with what takes with, with this. Um, like I said, the crowd popped for Nash and Hogan wanting to possibly lock it up. Then Nash discusses the importance of being NWO for life, and he throws up the Wolfpack sign to Hogan, who responds responds back with his own too sweet to seal the deal. Um, Macho then tries to go after Bischoff. The group would intervene. We get We Want Sting Chance in the arena during this segment. Hogan then grabs the mic and forces Savage and Bischoff to bury the hatchet. Savage then grabs the mic and says he's willing to go with the flow, but says him and Bischoff are on probation with each other, which was a little weird. Um, all is happy with the NWO as they close out the segment. This, this was a nice way to add some tension within the group early on. Nice foreshadowing for what would be to come months later within the group, and even a year or so, like I said, when they split the group up. I like the segment. This is probably the one thing I remember from this Nitro. I remember, you know, as a teenager watching this back on Monday night, um, it was it was different that the NWO was in this situation because they were so dominant, and I thought we were going to get, you know, the fall of the NWO very early on. I actually thought that the NWO was going to kick Hogan out. We were going to get Hogan back as a good guy. Um, that didn't happen. That's okay because, you know, history would, would, would prove me right that, uh, or prove me wrong, I should say, that it was a smart idea to keep Hogan as the leader of the NWL. Uh, we come back from commercial with our number two is Mike Tanay and Bobby Heenan joined Tony Schiavone on commentary, once again discussing the the reconciliation of the of the New World Order. And we see Mean Gene's in the ring to introduce Ric Flair as he discusses his return to action. He talks about his bond with Rowdy Rowdy Piper and that the NWO knows they're ready to play ball one more time. Flair would introduce Piper out to the ring. Piper chants would litter the arena as Hot Rod clarifies that he that Ric Flair is cleared to wrestle. And they make the challenge to the NWO with Carolina Panthers' Kevin Green as their partner. Uh, crowd pops big as then they introduce Kevin Green who runs out to the ring and let his, he lets his partners know he's got their back. Uh, pretty much all three of these guys lose their shit in the ring. Crowd pops for him. It was a fun segment. Uh, sets up the match with the NWO at the Slambury pay-per-view. Flair returning to action. The one thing that I, if I could nitpick about this segment... Ric Flair, yes, him and Piper, two big names. Kevin Green, at the, I get it. He was from the, the Carolina area. He was a Carolina Panther. The pay-per-view would be held in Charlotte. Um, but what I thought was kind of... What, what I didn't like about it more than anything was the fact that Ric Flair was the leader of the Four Horsemen. And with Flair's absence months prior from his shoulder injury, the Four Horsemen was in disarray. You know, Benoit had his issues with Sullivan. Mongo couldn't trust Jeff Jarrett. Jarrett and Mongo had their beef. Arn Anderson really can't keep it all together. Flair's been absent. Why wouldn't Flair want the four horsemen all together to set up the main event for, for Slamboree? Instead, he goes to two, quote-unquote, outsiders in Piper and Kevin Green to battle the NWL. I just thought that was... I understand why they did it, but you've kind of shit on the four horsemen. Even though they've been shitting on the four horsemen for months prior on Nitro, week after week, they were they weren't even I mean, they were a part of television storylines, but they weren't of importance with Jarrett and Mongo and Benoit. It was like Flair's kinda hanging the group out to dry. I just found I just found that interesting that that's the that's the direction they kinda went in 
um, with the Horsemen. Uh, up next, we got Chris Jericho and Dean Malenko for the United States title. This is a good match. Back and forth. Probably the best match on the show. Fast-paced, high-flying. We had several near-fall attempts. Malenko power bombs Jericho and then goes for the Texas Cloverleaf, but Jericho would reach the ropes quickly. Jericho then would hit a top rope superplex um, for a two-count. Malenko then nails Jericho into the turnbuckle. Ref goes to check on him. Then Malenko wants to make sure he's okay, but punts him in the face. Randy Orton punt style instead of the cover. Um, and then he goes for the cover, and we get the victory. The referee would check on him as they cut the commercial. They they hyped it up like Jericho broke his nose, and there was blood, and they just cut the camera away. So I'm not sure if it was a real injury or if it was um, if it was just done for TV. But I liked it. it. I wish it went a little longer, to be quite honest with you. Jericho and Malenko have great chemistry with each other, and I thought it was a good match. And I thought that it would, it would have served it better if it went longer. Um we come back from the break as they plug WCW Saturday night with high voltage making their way to the ring out next for their match against the public enemy. Uh, crowd seems pretty pumped up to see public enemy with the fans waving their hands in the air like they just don't care. Yeah, yeah. Um, they were shitty wrestlers, but the fans loved them. They had a, they had a little bit of a following. Um, clips from their last meeting with Jarrett and Mongo um, when... Uh, uh, they uh, they they lost with the with the briefcase. Uh, we got a brawl to start. A lot of double team moves by Public Enemy to kick things off. I didn't really care for this match. I'll be honest, with you, I kind of tuned out. Um, but uh, Johnny Grunge would go for a top rope splash onto Chaos through a table on the outside, but missed. Got a big pop, of course, because it was a broken table. Um, uh, Rage would then nail Rocco Rock with a Northern Light Suplex for the win. The announcers treated this as an upset, and. Uh, I guess you can call it an upset because High Voltage wasn't really... They were like relegated to WCW Saturday Night. They weren't Nitro regulars, so to speak. Um, so, uh, yeah, the, the only noteworthy moment in this match was the table spot. And then Mean Gene's in the ring with Public Enemy post-match. And they challenge uh, High Voltage to a Philadelphia street fight on next week's Nitro. Because they will be in Philadelphia. Using the tag words of Extreme and going back to their roots. Which kind of implied to the hardcore fans, ECW. Um, more still shots from the pay-per-view from the following evening. We have Rey Mysterio and Ultimo Dragon from that pay-per-view heading into commercial. If you, that's a great match. And honestly, I would go ahead and watch that pay-per-view, Spring Stampede 97. Not that you can watch it, the watch-along in, the, in the, the archives, or you can watch it yourself without our commentary from Dennis and myself. But it was a great pay-per-view. Rey and Dragon tore the house down. DDP and Savage, the NWO storyline, Turmoil, Benoit and Malenko. There was a lot of fun stuff on that show. Definitely go out of your way to watch it. Um, we come back from the break and we see Prince IAK in the trainer's room getting his ribs taped. And the commentary, the commentators question his match and the status of his match with the Ultimo Dragon later in the show. Up next, Harlem Heat with Sensuous Sherry as they take on Steve, Mongo, McMichael, and Jeff Jarrett from the Four Horsemen who are accompanied by Deborah. Um, Mongo, nowhere to be found. Uh, doesn't come out with, with Deborah and Jarrett. De Deborah would tell the cameraman that she's got no clue where Steve is, but she didn't really seem concerned. Um, the referee allows Jeff Jarrett to go it alone. Um, great back and forth to start between Jarrett and Booker T. Great chemistry between the both of them, as we'd see in later years in WCW and their singles matches towards the end of the run of WCW. Um, Harlem Heat pretty much took advantage of the handicap element of the match. At one point, Deborah left the ringside area but comes back quickly to update the cameraman that they are looking for Mongo in the parking lot. Once again, he's nowhere to be found as Jarrett is fighting off the double team from Harlem Heat. Um, 
We get a lot of frequent tags, pinfall attempts, but nothing. Uh, Jarrett would backslide attempt for a two count, but Harlow Pete kept just pounding away. Mongo finally arrived, taking his time heading to the ring. As Jarrett makes the hot tag to Mongo, he's cleaning house on Harlem Heat. Mongo then tags Jarrett back in as he can barely get in the ring. And Jarrett would eat a Harlem sidekick from Booker T for the victory. Harlem Heat are your winners. Uh, Mongo would then trash talk Jarrett post-match as Mean Gene enters the ring to get words with the horseman. Uh, Jarrett, not happy with Mongo and the way that he has treated him lately. He questions, you know, where Mongo was. Mongo rambles on talking about losing pain. Every dog has its day, etc. Gene would close out the, sh- the segment heading into the commercial break. The post-match promo didn't really make much sense. Mongo didn't really answer the question. Then Mongo's explanation just kind of seemed, you know, rambling, distorted. But more tension within the horseman. And something that Ric Flair's character doesn't really address at this time. Um, we get back from the break and it's Lee Marshall on the road with 1-800-COLLECT in Philadelphia. They're great! If you know, you know. Ultimo Dragon with Sonny Ono versus Prince Iakea for the WCW television title. We get a lot of quick near fall attempts to start the match. Dragon would work on the ribs of Iakea, the injured ribs. Uh, as we saw Ayakea come out with taped ribs. Stiff kicks to the rib area. Ayakea really selling the ribs. Uh, Ayakea would nail a stiff... Sh- or I'm sorry. Um, Dragon would nail a stiff shot to Ayakea's ribs for the cover and the win. And we got a new WCW television champion, Ultimo Dragon. This was quick. I mean, if it went longer, I wouldn't have minded. But, I mean, they, they played the injury angle going into the match that Ayakea wasn't 100%. And Dragon just went in for the kill. Very quickly, didn't get paid by the hour, new TV champ. So I got really no complaints with this story because it made sense. Uh, More still shots from the pay-per-view the previous night with Harlem Heat against Luger and the Giant heading into the commercial break. That match was a four corners match, but it was like with tag team rules. And the one person who got the pinfall would end up becoming the number one contender to the WCW World Heavyweight title. And that was the match where the Giant pretty much gave up his spot to Luger, so that Luger could win the match and um, become the number one contender, which was a pretty interesting setup, I must say. Um, They kind of really illustrated the friendship between the two and how Luger had been through so much throughout the course of the last several months with, you know, staying in the NWO, and this was his time, and Giant recognized that as his friend, and he stepped aside and said, no, you take the the shot, and that was pretty cool. I thought that was, I thought that was well done. Um, we are back from the break with our main event, the Giant versus Scott Steiner. Um, Conan and Hugh Morris jump Steiner from behind in the aisle. The Giant intervenes and runs them off after eating a chair to the back from Hugh Morris. And then the Giant and Steiner stalk them all the way to the back, shake hands, and walk back through the curtain. So we've got no main event. And we don't know the reason why Conan and Hugh Morris would attack Scott Steiner and why the Giant would go after him, considering Steiner and the Giant have issues with the NWO. But nonetheless, um, we are back from the commercial break, and we see Diamond Dallas Page coming down to the ring with his right shoulder taped up. DDP, DDP excuse me, reflects on his win over Savage at the pay-per-view, and he calls himself an anomaly, that that win wasn't supposed to happen. He calls out Savage once again to fight him. Avenge his wife, Kimberly, who Macho Man almost slapped in the face. Macho Man would then enter the arena out on crutches, with Hogan not far behind, stopping Savage and saying that he's going to take care of Paige for him. But the NWO follows, and they're at the top of the ramp watching. The crowd goes nuts as Sting repels from the ceiling, uh, 
and cuts off Hogan and the NWO on the floor, standing between DDP and the entire New World Order. He's standing on the floor, and this is a pretty cool moment. He takes a baseball bat, and he throws it backwards into the ring. DDP catches it, and then points another bat at Hogan as he stalks backwards into the ring to stand side-by-side with DDP, fending off the NWO as Nitro goes off the air. This was... That was a cool segment. I like that segment at the end. Um, it, it, those were the moments that made me love Nitro. Was the endings, you know, the, the especially with Tony Schiavone at the end. The fans were out of time. We gotta go. The tape machines are rolling, and you you it would make you want to watch next week. It's not like wrestling nowadays where they you know they roll credits and that's it. Like there's no cliffhanger. Those were cliffhangers. And that was pretty cool. And I could understand after watching that and watching other Nitros in the past, especially during this time period, why people were so down on the Sting-Hogan finish from Starcade. Because you had this buildup. Sting would come out week after week and, and avenge the NWO and it eventually would lead to the showdown with him and Hogan at Starcade. And then you got that, that bullshit sloppy finish with that bullshit slow count and Bret Hart's involvement. I can understand why people were mad about it. I wasn't thrilled with it back then, too, as a teenager. But this segment was a great way to end the show. Once again, um, the NWO, they had turmoil. They, they, they hashed out their issues. Then they were going to go after DDP. But Sting saved the day. And, you know, WCW was standing tall. And they were fighting the NWO. And there was solidarity, and even though it was just Sting and DDP. And that was, you know, that was how we, we, we ended that Nitro. That was cool. I liked it. And overall, I thought this episode of Nitro was a good episode. I didn't think it was bad. Could the could they have they laid it on thick with the NWO, you know, turmoil being the centerpiece, kind of cutting into some matches, but for the most part, there was a story. And the centerpiece of this episode of Nitro was the the friction within the NWO. And I thought it was even though it, it interfered with some of the other matches involved on the show. There was continuity, it made sense, it worked, it, it was the thread throughout the show, it got people to, to the segment, and eventually to the end of the show, when the NWO banded together to take on Sting and DDP at the end, and it was it all made sense. So, I like this episode, I'd go out of your way to watch it, I'd go out of your way to watch Spring Stampede from the night before, DDP and Savage, main event, tore the house down, Ultimo Dragon and Rey Mysterio, Benoit and Malenko, Luger winning the title shot with Giant and the Harlem Heat. That whole show was a great show. So go out of your way. Whether you watch the watch along with Dennis and myself or you watch it on your own from 25 years ago, by all means, go check that out um, over on the Peacock um, or YouTube or wherever you stream your 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 nostalgic pro wrestling content. Uh, that about does it this week here on Kicking Out It 2. Call it an audible, okay? Last week, or next week I should say, I was originally going to cover the April 21st, 1997 edition of Monday Night Raw, Raw's War, following the the Revenge of the Taker pay-per-view, but called an audible this week, and Dennis and I recorded a in-your-house Revenge of the Taker watch-along with all of you, Undertaker Mankind WWF title, WrestleMania 13 rematch, Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Bret Hart. It's a watch-along next week, so be on, be on point, be ready, have your cock loaded up, ready to go as we watch it with all of you here on Kicking Out at 2. And I think it is about that time that we put this show down for the three count and see you all next week.